0: It's always around this time of the year that we start thinking about things like gratitude and thankfulness. In fact, it's actually kind of part of the experience around the holidays to shift our mindset to one of gratitude and generosity. But why is it just this time of the year? Why is it so hard for us to be grateful all of the other months? I'm Matt, I'm the online director here at Grace Church, and if you, like me, find it difficult to be grateful in your life, you're not alone. You see, everything around us is telling us that we don't have enough we don't have enough money, we don't have enough likes or views, we don't have enough car, enough house, and if we just push a little bit harder, we'll finally get to where we can be happy. But that's not what the Bible says at all. What if what you really needed wasn't more, but instead a shift in how you look at the things that you already have? Let's get started talking about this right now, hearing from our lead pastor, Sean. Sean.
1: We are now uh, into November and coming up on probably the best time of the entire year for most people. We've got Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks and just a few weeks after that is Christmas. Uh, for people like us, my wife and I, who are empty nesters, all three of our kids have moved out. We're really excited about the next seven weeks because there's a good chance that we're gonna be able to see all three of our kids and son-in-law and daughter-in-law uh, twice in the next two months. Like We're incredibly pumped about this. Now, we know that Christmas is about generosity, and we also know that Thanksgiving is about being thankful, which is a little bit more obvious. What I what I really love is that Thanksgiving comes before uh, Christmas, because I, I think gratitude comes before generosity. In fact, I would say that generosity comes naturally out of people who find the ability to be grateful. I think if we were going to write down on a piece of paper an equation that led to generosity, we might would somehow tie in somebody's accumulation of wealth. And we would say that the more money somebody has, the more generous that person probably is able to be. And while that makes sense, I think on paper, it just doesn't play out that way in real life, right? And it's not that wealthy people aren't generous. Some of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life, even some of the most generous people in this church family are also wealthy people. I'm just saying that somebody's, ability to be generous, I don't think is directly connected to how much money they have. Because I also know people who are not wealthy by anybody's definition, who are also some of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life. I don't I don't know that it has anything to do with how much money you have. I think it has everything to do with whether or not you're grateful for what you have. I mean, like where else would generosity come from? So think of the people in your life that you know that are generous. Can you think of anybody's name? What do you think make, like, what's the spirit? What's the attitude? Like, where does that generosity come from? I think that you would say that this person is thankful, that this person probably feels blessed, and so they have some type of a sense of responsibility to be a blessing to others. This is the person that says, I have enough. This person is probably a content person. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, whatever you think what you would say is, is the motivation for their generosity, it's probably going to be themed around the idea of gratitude. So what keeps more people from being generous? Um... Uh, I think the easy answer is probably to just say that people are selfish, right? That's why people aren't more generous. I also just don't think that that's how it plays out. Yeah, there are some people, I and mean, obviously anybody who's selfish is probably not a generous person, but I know other people that aren't very generous, and it's not really because they're all that selfish. Like They're not like bad, bad people. I think they're just fearful people, that's all. I think fear is the blocker to generosity. It's the fear of losing whatever. It's the fear that I don't have enough. That's, that's probably what it is. They want to be generous. Maybe you're this type of person. I want to be a more generous person with my time, with my money, with my connections, with, with my abilities, my resources, whatever those resources are, my influence. But I don't think I have enough now as it is. It's the fear of that, that I don't have enough time, that I don't have enough money, that I don't have enough connections or influence. But where does that fear come from? Because you would look at that person, and you say, listen, I, you definitely have enough to be a generous person, but they don't feel that because they're afraid that they don't have enough. Where does that fear come from? I think there's two types of people when it comes to the way we view what we have. Uh, this isn't necessarily in the Bible. I think it's just a fact of the way people work. I think non-Christians, people talk about this uh even, maybe even more often than pastors and Christians do, but there's a... Scarcity mindset and there's an abundance mindset. If you follow any business leaders or uh, leadership entrepreneurs on TikTok or on Twitter, they'll often talk about a scarcity mindset. What they'll say is the idea that I don't have enough or that everything that I have right now comes to me in very limited quantities is going to be the thing that actually keeps you from being successful in life because you become that person who's hoarding. And it's not like you become a hoarder where there's going to be a TV show and an intervention where your family shows up with a dumpster. It's it's that idea that I have to keep everything because I already don't have enough as it is. Whereas the person who has an abundance mindset is looking at all of their things. And maybe it's the same amount of things that you have, but it's just that they look at those things differently. They say, I have enough. And so those that don't, I would gladly share I would share with them and it produces in them this this abundance mentality, creates this spirit of of gratitude and the spirit of gratitude makes it possible for them to live a life of of generosity. So you and them may have the exact same amount of material possessions or relational connections or career influence, but you'll live completely different lives based on how you view what you have and where you're at. Some people I think would say that this spirit of this this scarcity mentality comes from people who were raised uh in poor families. I, I it would be inaccurate to say that I was raised in poverty. I wasn't raised in poverty, but I I definitely was raised. I was raised poor. Uh I can remember my dad always pastored really small churches. The first church my dad ever pastored at, he didn't take a salary for over a year. And he didn't take any other jobs. Our family lived by faith, which like, I have, I have three grown children. And if, and if somebody offered them a job and said, I don't have any money for you and I don't want you to work anywhere else, but you can live on faith. And then they called me and said, dad, should I take this job? Like, <laughs> I don't know that I'm the right person to answer that question, but that's what my dad did. Holy cow. The first church he ever became the pastor of, he worked out full time and they never, actually they, they wrote him checks, but the church was in so much debt that he would cash the checks and my mom would give the off, give the cash. Uh, every single weekend in, a, in an offering in the offering plate. So they gave it back because they knew the church needed it more. Well, that that put our family at a financial disadvantage, as you can imagine. This one particular month, my mom tells the story where she was able to afford one chicken— for the whole month. Now I don't remember what we ate during the day. Actually, I do. We always ate oatmeal, instant, not instant oatmeal. It was the Quaker oats that came in the, the cardboard can because you could get a lot of that for really cheap. But at dinner, at dinner, we would, oh my word, I didn't know cereal came in a box until I was in college. That's just true. All the cereal I ever got was bags. I never got the cocoa puffs. It was always the cocoa ruse. You know what I'm talking about, that generic brand. That's that's a, that's the kind of stuff that we had. I had the bologna with the peel off plastic strip around that baloney. I don't you guys that are like like 40 years and under, you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's just it's like you might like baloney because you've lost your flipping mind. But like even bologna looks down on the kind of bologna that comes with a little plastic strip around it. Sometimes my mom would be in a hurry when she would pack our lunch. And so we'd get a, a slice of that bologna and a piece of a, a piece of cheese and we'd bite into it as a little kid. And I would pull my, my mouth away from the sandwich and we would pull the baloney slice off because my mom forgot to peel off that plastic piece. But anyway, I'm a little bit off track. We, my mom this in one particular month was able to buy one whole chicken for the entire month. And then for dinner every night that month, she bought flour, eggs, and water. And so she would make dumplings. She called it chicken and dumplings. But she spread out that chicken for 30 days. She's very proud of this. She's got a great, a beautiful story that she tells about the way that she was able to spread that one chicken out for 30 meals for a family of five. Now, the truth is, uh, every night we weren't really eating chicken and dumplings. It was dumplings and water. And every once in a while, if you got like, you know, you hit the lotto, you'd get like a little chicken bit in your mouth. <laughs> you were you were super pumped because you got that one little piece of chicken up. Now, we make jokes about it now. And at, at the time, I didn't know we were poor. You know, I think my mom and dad felt worse about it than than I did, but but we were we were poor, so I was raised uh without having a lot. And, and some of you guys may have been also. I I was raised like like on powdered milk. Um, milk for my family came in a box. Some of you guys didn't even know that milk. That you could buy milk powdered, but a box of powdered milk, by adding water, you could make I don't know five, six, ten gallons out of it. And one box of powdered milk was the price of one gallon, but we would get ten gallons of fake milk out of this. It's just the way that we were we were raised. I didn't get my first like expensive Nikes un- until I bought them with my own money. Uh, I grew up wearing shoes bought from Keds. I get into middle school. I made the basketball team, and uh, and I needed high tops. And we didn't have the money for high tops. And this is actually taking me into the part of the sermon where I wanted to tell you why I don't think I grew up with a scarcity mentality. It's because even though we were poor, our family followed God. And uh, that one time in, in seventh grade when I made the basketball team, we were sitting around the living room at 9 o'clock. That's when my sister, the youngest, went to bed. I went to, no, My brother went to bed at 9.30, and I'd go to bed at 10. Uh, so at nine o'clock before any of us had gone to bed, we all come into the living room for family devotions. Sometimes my dad would read a story out of the Bible or he'd do Bible trivia, which is just out of his head. Um, and then, and then we would pray together as a family. And that night, uh, this was actually a Sunday night. It really was a Sunday night because I'd made the basketball team this past week and coach said, you need high tops by Monday. And I waited until Sunday night to tell my mom and dad I needed high tops before tomorrow, but we didn't have any money. Uh, So we went around the room and everybody had to pray for Sean to be able to get high tops. My mom and dad knew there was no money for high tops. Where are they going to get high tops? Uh, So my dad put it out there. We're all going to pray for Sean to get high tops because he made the basketball team. And everybody goes around and praying. I'm in seventh grade. And I remember thinking, there's no way in the world. Like we can't just like pray sneakers into existence. But I prayed out loud for, you know, me to get high tops the next day. And my brother did, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And then we all went to bed. I went to school this, that next day without any high tops. I've got practice this afternoon. I've got to have high tops, and our family doesn't have any money. My dad picks me up from school around 3 o'clock and takes me to, ball, to the mall to buy me my first pair of high tops because somebody that my dad had not seen since he was at his grandfather's funeral when he was five years old wrote him a letter, and it came in the mail that day. And it said, Ron, I don't know why, but I've been thinking about you for a few weeks, and I felt like God wanted me to send you this check. And it was a check that was enough to cover my high tops. Not, I know that that's a coincidence. And you might would look at that and go, I don't think I'd ever want to have to live by faith that way. But I'm telling you from personal example that I pray different prayers because I was raised that way. Like I never felt like just because we didn't have money that I wasn't going to have enough because I know that our, I knew that our family followed God. There was a period of time where we didn't have any groceries. I don't even know, we didn't even have that chicken. And we went around, this was on a Saturday night, and it could have only been on a Saturday night because it was on a Sunday morning when this happened, but Saturday night, everybody went around the family and everybody had to pray for groceries. <laughs> Can you imagine making your kids pray that our family would be able to afford groceries? And that's the idea, we all prayed for God to provide groceries. That next day, we all go to church and when we came home from church. There were groceries all over our front porch and everybody that we knew had been at church this morning. So we were like, who in the world could have, could have done this? We have no idea. And my dad didn't tell anybody. He was a proud man. So he wouldn't have told anybody that we didn't have groceries, but I saw God answer, answer that, that prayer live. There's another story of my mom and dad not being able to have enough money for rent. And our whole family went around again, and we prayed for God to be able to provide money. And I don't remember how much detail my mom and dad went into, probably not much. And then that next day, while we were at school, a stranger walked up to our front door and knocked on the door. My mom answered it, and he said, um, is your rent due this month? And my mom was like, excuse me, who are you? And he goes, is your rent due? And my mom says, I, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. And he says, well, this is going to sound crazy, but I feel like God wanted me to give you this. And he reached into his wallet, and he pulled out exactly the amount of cash that my mom and dad owed for rent. I, I know that that sounds stupid, and I don't, even, I don't even know what to do with that story. I, don't, I mean, my sister, my sister will tell you that that was an angel. I, I don't know if that was an angel. I, I, I don't know. What I do know, though, is that God is a God of abundance. That's what I knew. There were three things that I learned in a godly family, in a Christian family, led by godly parents who loved and followed Jesus, who knew the scriptures, who even in our poverty or our poorness, was able to make sure that their kids would live by faith and not by fear. And those are the three things I want to give you today. The first is this. God 100% loves you and he's for you. Like that's the first thing that like I've I've always known that that God loved Sean. I, I haven't always felt love lovable, right? Like I I know who I am. And I know the things that I've done that I would never share with you and I've shared with you guys a lot. But there's some stories I'll never share with you, right? Because they those stories bring shame into my heart and regret and and I know that God right, and my wife are fully aware of those parts of my story. But I've never, even in those moments, doubted whether or not God loved me and he was for me. And I'm going to show you how you can have that confidence in just a second. The second thing that I learned is that God will always give me what I need. Not what I want. I don't always get what I want. But even my mom and dad modeled that for me. My mom and dad always provided everything I needed, even if they didn't give me everything that I wanted. And I think you as a parent, I think that's a healthy lesson for your kids to learn. And I think them learning that lesson from you, that they don't always get what they want, but they'll always have what they need, will help them in their view of God, not being my genie that I rub the lamp three times or go to confession, take communion and say 10 Hail Marys, and now God owes me a better job or or, a raise or a wife, or you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's that. But I I always knew that God would give me everything that I need. And then the third thing that I want you to see from the scriptures today is that God wants you to be grateful right now where you're at with what you have. So let's go over those three things. The first is that God loves you and he's here for you. Now, I, I need to acknowledge right off the bat that you'll find some verses that say that our sins have made us enemies with God. And that's a true statement because it is our sin that has become the barrier between us and God that has pitted us against God and his kingdom purposes in the world. And that those who live outside of saving faith in God through his son, Jesus, have positioned themselves on the opposing team with God. But there's a verse I want you to know because it's going to frame the way you see yourself even if you are spiritually disconnected from God. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 through 4 says this. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and everyone to understand the truth. Why does God want everyone to be saved? Why does God want everyone to understand the truth? Because it pleases Him. The one thing that pleases God more than anything else is that those of you who are spiritually disconnected from God would simply stop running from Him. That you would get to the place where you would accept that His Son, Jesus, Jesus, showed up in the flesh, having never sinned against God, doesn't deserve any judgment, and truthfully has immunity from God on Judgment Day. And then he laid down his life as a payment for you. And in a sense, what Jesus does is he takes his immunity and he offers it to you in exchange for your guilt. And if you are willing to accept that Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection was paid for your guilt, was done on your behalf for the debt you owe God because of your sins, you can be made right with God then you can be saved and come to understand the truth. And nothing would please God more for you to get to the place where you would pray at the end of this teaching, God, take away my sin too. I accept that your death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus, pays off my debt before a holy and righteous God. Jesus, forgive me and save me from my sin. That is is what pleases God. So while your sins keep you separated from God in relationship, it doesn't separate you from God and his love for you. What is your picture of God? How do you view him? Some of us, I think, have a, like a, a picture of God as being very aggressive or being very harsh. And while God is 100% holy, there's absolutely no doubt about that and is harsh in his judgment against sin because of all of the evil that it's done in the world. And because of honestly, all the harm that it's caused you personally, he genuinely loves and cares for you. Well, look at this verse in Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. It says, for the Lord your God and God isn't He might not be your God. But when you come to the place where you place your faith uh, in Jesus, like we just talked about, and God becomes your God, listen to this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you. Like, do you picture God that way? That God takes delight in you. Like, what does that even mean? Having raised three kids, I know what it means for a father to take delight in his kids. It's when my son texts me last night at 10.30, and he says, hey, bro, can I give you a call? Yes. Like, I was about to go to bed. And he said, if it's too late, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I said, bro, never too late. Give me a call. I, I, I take delight in my kids. And I forget that God feels the same emotion towards me that I feel towards Ryan. What's awesome is that when God sees you, he takes the same delight in you that I just explained that I take in my kids when they reach out or when they call or when Garrett sends me four different Zillow links to four different houses that he and Leslie are looking at buying as their first home. And he's not going to make a move until... He just has a conversation with his dad, and she has a conversation with her dad. Or Lauren calls and celebrates that this last weekend was the first weekend that she was on duty without any other nurses looking over her shoulder. That makes me feel delight. And that's what God feels towards you. Like, you need to know that. Like, that's going to change the way you view everything about your life, is that God actually loves you and he's for you. It says back in that verse that he takes delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all of your fears and he rejoices over you with joyful songs. Some of us have never had a father like that. A dad that would sing with us in the car with the windows rolled down, driving 70 miles an hour down a country road. That's the way God feels about you. And bro, that ought to feel pretty freaking good, right? This is the promise for all of us who are his kids. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, he said, Your parents, if your children, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Here's what you need to say to yourself. God loves me with all of His heart, and God is for me. When you learn to see God this way, you'll learn the second thing that I learned as a kid. And that's that God will give me what I need. That's what He does. God doesn't give me everything that I want. I mean, He might, but most of the time He doesn't. That's been my experience. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God will generously provide all that you, what? What's the next verse? The next word. God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. So here's a question. Is this verse true or not? Is God a liar or not? Now, if God is telling the truth, then here's what I know. You right now have exactly what you need for right now. And some of us would say, but wait a minute. I need, and then you're going to fill in the blank with something. And here's what I know, that God knows your needs. And if he knew that you actually had to have that right this second, then guess what? You would actually have that right this second. And if you, as God's kid, Listen, if our parents know how to give good gifts, then how much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give us what we need? That's what the Scriptures just said. If you right now don't have that, then you right now don't actually need that. That's a tough thing for us, though, isn't it? Like, apparently I don't need it if I don't have it if God hasn't chosen to give it to me yet. Psalm chapter 84, verse 10 says this, "'A single day in your courts "'is better than a 1,000 anywhere else. "'I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God "'than live the good life in the mansions "'or the homes of the wicked. "'For the Lord God is our son and our shield. "'He gives us grace and glory. "'The Lord will withhold no good thing "'from those who do what is right.'" God does not withhold anything good, and He defines what is good from those who do what is right. Now a gatekeeper, I think some of us were praying for mansion things though, right? Like I don't think to pray, God, give me things that allow me to stay a gatekeeper. I want to pray things that are gonna get me to the house of the mansion with the wicked. And what the psalmist says is, I would rather be in the position of a lowly servant in a healthy relationship with you than have everything I've ever dreamed and be disconnected from the person that you created me to become. So if God knew that my place of happiness and contentment with Him would be found most confidently or assuredly as a gatekeeper than in a mansion, then maybe I should be okay with being a gatekeeper. Because if God knew that I could serve Him better living in a mansion, then I would probably be living in a mansion. Like He's going to give me the things he knows I need to do the most good in the world. And the truth is, there are some of us that if God gave us more, we would probably mismanage it the way we've already mismanaged the things he's already given us, right? To those who are faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. But to those who are not faithful with little, we won't be faithful with much. Maybe what God wants for you right now is to want him Most, right now. So there's a possibility that God might be removing everything else until you have nothing left but Him. Then maybe it's at that point we'll find out that He's enough. And maybe when you get to that place, God will then move you on to other places with more opportunities, more things. There's nothing wrong with asking God for the things that you want and don't have, as long as that's not the only thing that you're talking to God about. Can you imagine if the only time your kids ever talked to you was when they were asking things from you, I think at some point, you would look at your kid and you would go, holy cow, you have enough. Be grateful. And I wonder if God's ever thought that about me. And that brings me to the third thing. And that's this, that God wants me to be grateful right now. And truthfully, that's not that difficult. If I genuinely believe that God is for me, that God loves me, that he's for me, And that God has already given me everything I need. Because if I genuinely believe that God loves me, then I don't have to question his intentions. And if I'm not questioning his intentions, then it's easier for me to assume that everything I have right now has come through his hands and is enough. And if everything I have right now has come to me from God, and this is all God intends me to have right now, then truthfully, I can get to a place pretty quickly and easily of gratitude. That's what I get to do. I can be grateful with what I have and where I'm at right now if I believe that God is good, that God loves me, that he's for me, and that he'll give me everything that I need. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances. I'm going to stop. And how many circumstances should we find a way to feel gratitude in every one of them? So think of the difficult times in your life. Maybe you're going through that right now. And you're asking yourself, how in the world can I be grateful in all circumstances? In this circumstance? Yeah, according to the scriptures, you've got to find a way to be grateful in all circumstances, even this one. How will you do that in the circumstances you're in? By remembering that God is good, that he's for you, and he's already given you everything that you need. It just might not be everything that you want or everything that you think you need, but you have everything that you need. And if you truly believe that God was good, that he's for you, and that you have everything that you right now need, then you can be grateful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read that verse one more time. I'm gonna ask you a question. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. What is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus? It is God's will for you to be thankful in every circumstance. Why? Because he wants us to be grateful with what we have and what we don't have. How are we able to do that? by the confidence that God is probably trying to do something in my life even through what I don't have. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says this, now all glory goes to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So here's the thing, there is something that God was trying to do in the heart of Ron and Marilyn's three kids when he went a whole year without a salary. How in the world did Marilyn find it in her heart to be thankful in the circumstance where she could afford one chicken for an entire month? Like, at no point should she ever stop thinking that God loves her. At no point should she ever get to the place where she doesn't feel like God's given her what she needs. And the truth is, God was trying to do something bigger than just make sure we had a variety of meals during those 30 days. What God was trying to do was to get Sean, Brian, and Misty to a place that they could say that God is good and generous even when they didn't have a lot. God wanted me personally to see that God answers prayers of a seventh grader who doesn't have sneakers for his basketball team. Now, truthfully, I mean, it would have been great. I'm sure my dad would have rather been in a position where he had the money and I made the basketball team. He could just take me out that next morning to the mall and buy me Air Jordans because Air Jordans had already come out by then. Like, that's what he would have wanted to do. And he didn't. And he could have sat there not having what he felt that he needed because he didn't. I needed sneakers and he didn't have the money for that. But my dad hopefully was able to find it. I'll say this because I don't know my dad's heart then. I know the way that my heart looks at that period in my life and I wouldn't go back and change any of that because it was that season of our life where we didn't have much that I learned that I needed God more than I needed my dad's money. I learned as a 13-year-old that when you ask God for sneakers, he'll remind somebody who hadn't thought about your dad since 1953 to mail him a check for 50 bucks In 1985, that's what I learned. God was doing something infinitely bigger than what my mom and dad thought God should be doing in that season of our lives. And what I'm saying is that if there's no other way for you to be grateful in the situation that you're in right now, you can be grateful in this. That God has to do something greater than what I was asking him to do by relieving me of this burden. You, as a Christian, you have to get to that place because I'm telling you, God is already there. God is on the other side of your one month long of one chicken feeding a family of five. And he's building in your kids confidence that God answers prayer. For chicken, God's using your sneakers as, as to, to build your kids' confidence that God answers prayer. Do you see what I'm saying? Like even in the sorrow, in the grief of what you're going through now, sorry, it's a beautiful thing to me. I'm not crying out of any sadness. Like it's, it's touching my heart. That God is making beautiful things out of the crap that you feel that you're going through right now. And if you can have the faith to say that God is good, even when I feel like my life is bad, What you will find (laughs) is you'll find the ability to be grateful even in the middle of the crap that you're in. God is drawing a much more beautiful picture than the picture you can see right now, right? It's like that tapestry illustration, that weaver. You can see like the one thread that you're on, but it's only when you back up over the course of your life and see the entire rug, that all of those different colors that he was bringing into that pattern begin to make any sense. And that's something to be grateful to God about. Jesus had this confidence. That's why at the Last Supper, Jesus is sitting next to the person who's gonna betray him to people that are gonna to torture him all night long. And The Bible says that God broke the bread, Jesus broke the He, he prayed and he gave thanks and then he broke the bread, and then he gave it to the person who was about to send him to torturers. There's a verse that explains how Jesus was able to give thanks knowing he was about to go into the worst season of his life, and that's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says that we are to stay motivated and keep going, and it says in verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we do this, keep going, by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him on the other side of the cross, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. He was able to disregard the shame and the pain and the torture of what he was about to go through because of his confidence and the joy that he would have on the other side. And that's where he found the strength to be grateful in one of the hardest seasons of his entire life. That's exactly where you'll find it also. Have you ever got to give you something that he didn't give you, and later you were really glad? I can think of that. I'd, my heart was broken at the end of my freshman year of college. I fell in love with Jennifer Bourne. Man, I, I, man, I, I told my best friend, Danny Crawford, I was going to marry her. I really did. <laughs> I did. I told Danny I was going to marry Jennifer. And she dumped me. She dumped me for a guy named Matt, who's probably a great guy, right? Probably. But probably not, right? Like that's how you feel about it. Man, I, I was so upset. Never going to be happy again. Never going to love again. Girls are stupid, right? You you go through all of that. I asked God to fix our relationship and God didn't do that. And holy cow, that next year I met Billy Jane. And man. I'm just glad not, God doesn't do everything I tell him to do. Aren't you? And it's because I'm confident that even God's no's are greater yeses to something greater, gives me the ability to be grateful, even when things aren't playing out the way that I wanted them to. That's all. When you believe that God is good, even when life is not, you're going to find the capacity to be grateful for what you have and where you're at. Truthfully, that's where worship comes from. There's all kinds of verses in the book of Psalms. We're not going to look them up for the sake of time, where it says, I'll praise the Lord at all times. I'll constantly speak his praises. Then I will thank you, God, in front of the great assembly. I will praise you before all the people. Another verse says, but I will give repeated thanks to the Lord, praising him to everybody. Our worship even comes, like the kind of worship that God appreciates most is the kind of worship that comes from a heart of gratitude. So whether you have a lot or a little, you have a good God who sees you right now and has given you enough to be grateful. He loves you, he's got his hand on you, and you can be extremely grateful for where you're at and what you ha- what you have. This is the month of Thanksgiving, and we really do have a lot to be grateful for. We're going to worship our generous God in a few minutes, but before we do, I do want to ask if maybe you are the person who believes that God is good to his kids. You'll acknowledge that, but you're not sure if you're one of his kids right? Like you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but if you're going to be honest, you've really got more of your faith in the church to save you than Jesus to save you, on your baptism to save you than Jesus to save you, or your communion to save you than like you, or all, your, your confidence is in your ability to be a good enough person to go to heaven. All I'm asking you to do is transfer your faith, your hope, your confidence off of yourself, or the church, or this church, or take your faith off of whatever it's on, and place that faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, I accept that your death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays my debt before a holy and righteous God. And I know you love me. And because you love me, I'm asking you to forgive me for sinning against you and against others. Help me to follow Jesus with the rest of my life. Can you make that your prayer? Maybe you've already come to that place, right? You're already a devoted follower of Jesus. You're already his kid. But there's a lot that you want that you don't have. And you can't be happy where you're at because you're only focused on all the stuff you don't have. You need to pray and make that right with God. God, I have enough. Or maybe you're overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God and just want to thank him. I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and we'll pray. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a part of this service today. God, for those who are spiritually disconnected from you, I'm thankful that we all have the opportunity right now to call on you to forgive us and save us. You want everyone everywhere to be saved and understand the truth. So if that's where you're at, then your prayer right now is, Jesus, I accept your death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off my sin. Tell him that. Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me and save me from the sins I've committed against God and against others. God, I'm asking you to help me follow Jesus with the rest of my life. Make that your prayer. If you're already God's kid, your prayer is, God, there are things that I want, but help me to be okay with what I already have. For this next week, maybe this gratitude challenge for you is, God, I'm not going to ask for anything for a whole week. All I'm going to do for the next week is thank you for the things I've already have, I have already have. Can you make that your prayer? And those of you who are already overwhelmed by the goodness of God, you would say, God, thank you, just thank you. God, we love you with all of our heart, and we thank you for everything you've already done for us. Thank you for saving us from our sins, helping us to understand the truth of what Jesus has done for us and why he did it. God, help us to trust that you see us, that everything that we have is from you, and that we right now have enough to do what you've called us to do. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and we all say together, amen. What an encouragement
0: to be reminded that we have a God who sees us right now where we're at a God who loves you and is for you. And that's reason enough to be thankful and grateful. And I hope that you are encouraged by what you heard here today. And if you wanna keep working on being more grateful this week, I've picked out some Bible plans on the YouVersion app, all about gratefulness and thankfulness that you can do throughout the series. So if you wanna get those, you can go ahead and text the word plans to the number that you see on your screen. And you can start that with us this week. As always, if you're new to our church, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. You can text the word NEW to the number that you see on your screen as well, and I'll connect with you this week. Also, if you'd like to reach out just for some prayer, answer to a question, or just some encouragement, you can always reach me by texting that same number or emailing me at online at thatsgrace.org. Let's end our time together with some music to reflect and get you ready for this week to come.
2: of the Son of Man Stories of a Saviour You did not speak, you made no sound You died for your accusers And as your blood fell to the ground Find my future. And on the day that you arose, the darkness ran for cover. For the King of Kings has claimed his throne. Now until forever. Yes, you. my hiding place you're my helper my healer my blessed redeemer my answer my saving grace and you're my hope in the shadow my strength in the battle